come to the New Testament lesson today, which is from Paul's second letter to Timothy, verses 4, 1 through 8. This is, in a way, it's a short letter, and it's, in a way, it's Paul's last will and testament to his protege, his, his, the person that he has known since he was a boy, who Paul is leave, leaving his ministry to in Ephesus. And so he tells Timothy all sorts of things about how he should live, how he should be as a, as a pastor, as a Christian. And so listen for Paul's words and listen for God's word being filled to you. Paul writes, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message. Be persistent whether the time is favorable or unfavorable, convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. As for you, always be sober, Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Carry out your ministry fully. As for me, I am already being poured out as a libation, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray. Loving God, we pray that you will grant us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the hearts and minds to understand your word and your world as best we can this day. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a question for you this morning. Can a person be too Christian? Too Christian. You know, if somebody is maybe trying too hard to come across as cheerful, like everything's okay in their life, or maybe, you know, they just can't wait to share with you all the details about their relationship with Jesus or their favorite contemporary Christian singer or rock band or the, the latest Christian book that you just have to read. Not that there's anything wrong with any of that stuff. It's just that sometimes it can get to be a bit too much. Or maybe somebody is just plain obnoxious about being a Christian. So I'm going to share with you a story about an obnoxious Christian. It happens to be me. <laughs> when I was a senior in high school, I decided to leave my parents' Stayed old Presbyterian church and go with my girlfriend to her church, which was much cooler than my church. Now, this is not the first time in the history of the world that a guy has followed a girl to do something to impress her, but so I went to that church and I really, really got into it. I loved it. Um, they had this dynamic new pastor. They were going through a charismatic revival. People were actually speaking in tongues sometimes. They were having, you know, 
drums and guitars and all that stuff in worship. And the thing I loved the most about that church was that they didn't have any problem at all talking about themselves and identifying themselves as Christians rather than the members of some, you know, denomination or something like that. And it was great. I, I went to church twice on Sundays, once on Wednesdays, and I ran the sound system at every single one of those church services. I even got to meet some people who went on to become famous Christian rock singers or, or recording artists. And, you know, it all had an impact on me, a lot of it for the good. So much impact on me that one day my mother says to me, are you sure that that church you go to all the time isn't some kind of a cult? And I said, no, Mom. I'm just a Christian, and you're just a Presbyterian. Ouch. One of the most obnoxious things I've ever said in my life. I didn't know it at the time, but... My mother continues to remind me of my words um, because there's kind of an irony to that story, right? I mean, well, I didn't get to tell you what I became, but that's who I was. So yes, it is possible to be too Christian, like too intense, too obnoxious about your faith. And then there's a situation that I would assume most of us have faced from time to time living here in the very secular Bay Area, you're at a party, some sort of a social event, and you, you just don't want to make anyone else feel uncomfortable or you know, weirded out in some way because you seem to be too Christian. You might not want to mention your faith at all or say that you go to church or where you go to church or even talk about religion you know, in polite company. I mean, all the bad stuff that's in the news these days and that's out there in the public imagination, it is totally understandable sometimes to kind of want to be an anonymous Christian. Last year, John Pavlovitz wrote a really interesting blog post about what it is like from his perspective to be a Christian in public. He starts off by saying this. You have probably seen the ubiquitous meme floating around, I can't adults today. It sounds kind of clumsy with its use of adult as a verb, but it's the idea that whatever it is that is required of proper, responsible, grown-up human beings, one is simply not presently capable of it. I can't adults today. And then he goes on to say this. I have been a Christian for most of my 49 years, a pastor in a local church for 22 of them, and on far too many mornings recently, I have woken up, checked Twitter, or watched the news, or walked away from a family conversation or a church gathering and thought to myself, I can't Christian today. I can't sift through all of the malice and bitterness masquerading as Christianity to find out what is worth keeping. I can't apologize anymore for people who willfully hurt other human beings in the name of a God they preach is love. In the, is the name Christian now so inextricably entwined with misogyny, bigotry, homophobia, that it cannot be untangled? 
ends up by saying he's not even sure he wants to call himself a Christian anymore. Now, honestly, some of his rant resonates with me. I mean, there are times when I'm online or I'm listening to the news on the TV or the radio or I'm in a conversation and and the word Christian just sort of comes out of nowhere and and honestly I sort of flinch because I'm thinking, oh no, what is the latest thing that I have to apologize for or feel like I'm being put on the spot for? Because I know often enough it's not going to be good news. Even so, I am not ready to let go of either the word or of my identity as a Christian. Even if, you know, it might be easier for me to free myself from the evil ways of those Christians with whom I have disagreements or something like that, I could claim I'm not like one of them. But here's the thing. In the process of claiming what I'm not, I run the risk of denying a large part of who I am. Because while I can't stomach what some of my fellow believers say and do, and I'm sure they can't stomach some of the stuff I say and do too, even if they give me a hard time and they drive me crazy sometimes, I am also one of them. I can't deny being a Christian any more than I can deny being an Ashburn. That's my family name, for sure, but it's also the people who shaped me. They did this partly by laying a foundation of love and partly by giving me values to live up to and then correcting me when I wasn't able to live up to those values. And and partly they gave me a sense of who I am by giving me the space to struggle with some of those values for myself and with their authority and thereby to grow into my individuality. It's who I am. I'm also a Christian. I mean, some of the Christians I don't agree with on this or that are also the people who introduced me to Jesus Christ, who showed me his love. They were the people who taught me to love the Bible. They were the people who taught me to to laugh with those who laugh and, and weep with those who weep. They're my people too. They're my friends. They're my mentors, my companions on the way. And even if they drive me crazy sometimes, I still love them. At least I try to. So I agree with Rachel Held Evans that loving the church means both critiquing it and celebrating it. We don't have to choose between those two. So perhaps real maturity is exhibited not in thinking myself above other Christians, but in humbly recognizing the reality that I can't escape my own cultural situatedness and my life experiences, nor do I want to escape the good gift of my dysfunctional, beautiful, necessary, global faith. hear that attitude in the scripture passage I just read from Paul, too. He seems, you may have noticed, to be the end of his life, at the end of his life, or getting near to it. And then he, as I said, passing on his mantle. 
to his protege, Timothy. And he warns Timothy about people who have no stomach for solid teaching, but fill up with spiritual junk food. Catchy opinions that give them, I love this image, that give them itchy ears or tickle their fancy. They'll turn their backs on truth and chase after mirages, but you, keep your eye on what you're doing. Accept the hard times along with the good and keep the good news alive. And then he ends with those very, very famous words. Maybe you've heard them before. I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I have kept the faith. Kind of hard to imagine Paul waking up one morning and saying, I can't Christian today. I'm sure he got fed up. But he didn't give up. No way. Now, a little etymology, a little history here. The word Christian comes from the Greek, Greek root Christos, or Christ. It means Messiah, basically, in Greek. And it got combined at some point in Greek with a Latin suffix, ianos, Christianos, which means, Ianos means to belong to somebody, like a slave belongs to a master. Christianos, one who is a slave or belongs to Christ. And believe it or not, that word Christian or Christianos only appears three times in the Bible. The first two times are in the book of Acts, and both times it's being used uh, by people in Antioch to sort of mock the early Christians for, for being slaves of some obscure guy named Christos. And then the only other time it appears in the New Testament is in the book of 1 Peter, where Peter writes, if you're abused because of Christ, count yourself fortunate. It's the spirit of God in you that brought you to the notice of others. If they're on you because you broke the law or disturbed the peace, that's a different matter. But if it's just because you're a Christian, don't give it a second thought. Be proud of the distinguished status reflected in that name. The point is that from the start of the Christian church, you know, the word Christian has been thrown at people, you know, as an insult. Off and on. People writing in the New Testament were already aware of that. They knew it wasn't going to be easy to be a Christian or even be called a Christian. But when that happens to you, don't despair. Turn it around. Claim it. And live into your identity as somebody who follows Jesus and belongs to Christ. Better yet, Remember how uh, in Pavlovitz's piece that I talked about a little earlier, he, he turns Christian into a verb, to Christian. I can't Christian today. A verb signifies action. So don't worry or get caught up in thinking that you're going to come across to somebody else as too Christian. Learn how to Christian instead as a verb. Verbize your faith and act like a follower of Jesus. 
There are more ways to act like a follower of Jesus than I could possibly list, but I want to share with you three basic fundamentals of what it means to Christian as a verb. First, remember who you belong to. Maybe you're not comfortable with the image of being a slave of Christ, I understand, or maybe you're you're not comfortable thinking of Jesus as your Lord. Maybe that brings to mind some sort of feudal monarchy or something like that. That's okay, too. But as a friend said to me the other day, she said, no matter where you are in life, whatever you face, stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. Remember that you are precious in his sight. You are so beloved by Jesus Christ. You are so beloved that he would do anything, give anything to be close to you. So take him up on that offer to be close and stay close to Jesus and follow him where he goes. And that leads to the second way to Christian as a verb. You probably remember the quote that is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, right? He says, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. I was expecting somebody to just shout it out. Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. That's one of my favorite quotes and I, I use it often as a kind of uh, mantra for myself to keep me centered on what my role is as a follower of Jesus. Um, the other day, I was meditating uh, for about, in my morning prayer time, about half an hour, I was meditating on the Beatitudes, you know, where Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours shall be the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be fed. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people revile and defame you on account of the Son of I have read that passage hundreds of times. I've taught it. I've preached on it. And usually, you know, when I'm doing it, honestly, I I have to imagine and wonder to myself, how blessed do these people really feel? The poor and the the hungry and the persecuted and the, the, the grieving. How blessed do they actually feel? And then what I do is I put on my theological hat and I consider God's promise to bless them in the future and to use me in some way to do that too. But in the meditation I was doing, silence, quiet, I imagined being with Jesus as he was preaching this sermon on the mount with a bunch of other people. and I was trying to listen in my imagination to what he was saying and I just couldn't get it. I just didn't hear anything. I was just being present, sort of watching his mouth move, but I wasn't hearing anything. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, in my imagination, Jesus looks at me with these incredibly intense, piercing eyes. And he says this, shut up and be a blessing. That's what he said to me. Shut up and be a blessing. And, you know, that caught my attention. (laughs) 
In other words, stop trying to figure out how all the suffering people are going to be helped and healed and made whole. Just go out and bless them now any way you can. As one who belongs to Jesus. And finally, if you want a Christian as a verb, know that you're not alone. You are part of something much, much bigger than you can ever imagine. Something we call the body of Christ, or the church, or the community of faith. Uh, One of my favorite books is called Residence Aliens, describing the church on this earth as resident aliens, people who who God has sent into this world to find a place and also to wander as the people from the Exodus wandered. The writers, William Willimon and Stanley Hauerwas, write, through the teaching, support, sacrifice, worship, and commitment of the church, utterly ordinary people are enabled to do some rather extraordinary, even heroic acts. Not on the basis of their own gifts and abilities, but rather by having a community capable of sustaining Christian virtue. The church enables us to be better people than we could have been if left to our own devices. I love that quote. And I believe it totally. It's a call to people like you and me who want to follow Jesus to reclaim our promise and our purpose and our place at the table and on the front lines of where God is is working through the Spirit, is bringing Jesus to people who are suffering, who need food, who need love, who need care, who need attention, who need justice. That is what it means to be a Christian. It's knowing who we belong to. It's blessing those he blesses. And it's doing it together. I'll close with something I said to my son when he was about six years old. He's now 19. So it's been a while. I'm I'm sure I've shared it with some of you before. But one night he, Griffin, was, we were at table eating dinner, and he says to me, as only like a six-year-old can say, "Uh, Dad, why do you go to church? And I said, well, they pay me to go to church. That was the first thing I said. But then I said, You know, I go to church because I remember a time when I was about your age. And I learned that there is a group of people in this world, beyond my nuclear family, beyond my parents, who has promised to love me, to feed me, to accept me, to challenge me, and to help me grow no matter who I am or what I have done. Those people are called Christians, and I'm one of them. And that's why I go to church. That's still why I go to church, largely. And I'm glad you're here, too, to be here with me. So may we continue to love and to care and to pray and to worship and to serve together.